Today we begin a brand new series called Get in the Game. And over the next five weeks, we want to encourage you to move from being a spectator at Lake Point to being a participant. And we're going to be looking at that in several different ways. Uh, the temptation is to be a spectator. Once somebody described football as 22 people in desperate need of rest being watched by thousands of people in desperate need of exercise. Now, unfortunately, that many times can be the description of the church where there are folks who are just sitting back and being critics and critiquing and uh, watching. But we want to invite you into the game. We want to invite you to be a part of something that is no less than miraculous. What God is doing in and through this church and not only this community, but the world. Don't miss out on that. It begins by, first of all, defining what the win is, what the goal is. And we find that in Matthew, the 28th chapter, in verses 19 and 20. For many of you, it would be a very familiar scripture, but let's look at it together. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age." Now, in Detroit and other places around the nation, they make cars, and they know the business that they're in. They're in the business of making cars, and so they'll uh, have an assembly line, and they'll put that car together, and one car rolls off the end of that assembly line, and they say, one. And then they make another one, and they say, two. And at the end of the year, somebody can say, how's the car business? And they can tell you how good the car business is. If you're in the car business, you make cars. We're in the disciple-making business. And so the question is, how's business? And really what you have to do in order to answer that intelligently, you have to define what a disciple is. And we want to invite you today to be a part of a team that's making disciples. And we've come to describe disciple making with five W's. In other words, when somebody is a fully developing follower of Christ, when they're a disciple, they're a follower of Christ, we find that there are five W's that are true in their life. Five activities or uh, uh, characteristics that are improving every year. Uh, there was a sports announcer by the name of Mark Holtz uh, years ago. He's gone on uh, to be with the Lord. But he invented the phrase, or he coined the phrase, put a W in the win column. Well, what we want to do in the next five weeks is we want to put five W's in the win column, all right? And we're going to look at the five W's very quickly. What are the five W's? What are the five ways that we believe that every disciple ought to be growing? First of all, they're growing in what it means to walk with God. In other words, they're in community with other Christians. They, they leave the big room, they get into a smaller room where they're actually interacting in relationship with other believers. The second W is they live by God's word. Not know God's word, but live by God's word. There's a difference. The third W is that they contribute to God's work. They not only contribute with their finances, but maybe more importantly, they contribute with their influence, with their network. They contribute with their time and their talent. The fourth W is that they impact God's world. They not only are involved in missions around the world, but they are impacting God's world in a kind of concentric circles that begin with their home and hit their neighborhood and hit their school and hit, hit their workplace, their fellow workers, their their. Uh, city and yes even the world and then finally that final W is that they worship God and we know that worshiping God is not something that happens only in a building for a couple of hours every week 
But it is a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, everything we think, everything we say, everything that we do. And over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking at those five W's. We want to put five W's in the win column because when we do, the team wins. And we begin today with talking about walk with God's people. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Acts, the second chapter. If you don't have a Bible, just look there on the back of your worship guide, and you're going to find it listed there as well. In Acts, the second chapter, verse 41, it says this about walking with God's people. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Look at verse 44. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they began selling their property and possessions, and they were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Now, we're going to talk about the fact that the very first church, and by the way, did you notice the very first church was a megachurch? There were 3,000 people saved on the very first day of the very first church. But they didn't stay as a large group. They broke into small groups. They studied the apostles' teaching in small groups. They had all things in common in small groups. They prayed together in small groups. They had fellowship together in small groups. In other words, the very first life groups were in the very first church day one. Every once in a while, I'll have a young pastor who's starting a new church, and he'll call me up, and he'll, he'll ask for some advice. And one of the questions I get all the time is, Steve, when in the, in the journey of our church should we start life groups or small groups? And my answer is always the same. Yesterday, all right? Yesterday. This is not something that you, you build your church up to a certain point, and, oh, we're getting big now, we better have small groups. Friends, small groups in the first church started on the first day because they are essential for people becoming fully developing followers of Christ. Now, here's what I know. There are some of you here today who've never been involved in what we call life groups here or smaller groups of believers who gather together. And, and my hope is that by the time that I finish today that I will convince you that that's something you want to do. That the five things that you're going to find in a life group that you're not going to find in this large, large auditorium and for those of you who are watching us online, you're not going to find just by watching us online are so compelling that you must get into a life group. We, by the way, start a brand new year of life groups in two weeks. Now, there, uh, you don't have to wait two weeks. You can come next week and go ahead and be a part of one. But we're launching all kinds of new groups, and you're going to find out more about that as you leave today. Or you can go by any of the kiosks around uh, the uh, concourse, and you can get a list of classes that begin in two weeks, and that some who are go going on right now, those of you who are joining us online, you can... Go online and look up life groups and you'll find that same list that's there. But I hope that we can convince you to be a part of that. Now, I also though know that there are many of you who are already going to life groups. You're already sold. You go, ah, that's great. Preach at them. Steve, go get them. <laughs> well, I want to talk to you as well. Not only do I want to talk to you, but I want to talk to the leaders of life groups today. Because we're going to be talking about the five things that ought to be happening with excellence in every life group. And I want to encourage those of you who are already in life group to, to make a note of what those five things are. And when we finish today, to rate your life group from uh, 1 to 10, with 10 being, we're perfect, might as well take us on to heaven right now, <laughs> to uh, not so much. 
and, and, and make a renewed commitment to be the small group that God has called you to be. So everybody can participate today. We're all going to go to the next level today. So let's talk about what are the five things that ought to happen in a life group that cannot happen anywhere else in God's plan. The first thing is interactive Bible study. Look back at verse 42. In verse 42, it says, And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Interactive Bible study. Uh, the one big question I get from folks all the time is, why in the world would I want to stay or come an hour earlier for a life group when I'm already getting a Bible study every week? Because it's a different kind of Bible study. It's not just a lecture format, which we obviously have to do in this format, but it's an it's a interactive. It's where you can ask questions and you can participate as much as you want. Now, I do realize that some of you are not involved in life groups because it is interactive. The last thing you want is interaction. And we're aware of that. So what you need to know is it can be as interactive as you want. You can sit at the back of the class and just watch. Because some of you are afraid that if you go to a life group, they're going to ask you to pray out loud or they're going to ask you to read out loud or they're going to ask you a theological question. When you give your answer, everybody else in the room is going to fall off their chair laughing. <laughs> we know that. That's why we're not going to do that. Are you listening, life group leaders? We're never going to call on someone to pray. Never going to call on someone to read that we don't already know wants to read and we're certainly not going to ask somebody a question. Now, you can volunteer to do any of that. Who would like to read this scripture for us? Who would like to lead us in an opening prayer? Or the leader can come to you quietly and say, would you feel comfortable praying? No, sir, I'm, I won't. Okay, fine, I won't call on you. Yes, I'd be happy to do that. It's as interactive. But what you need to understand is that interaction, even if you're just watching it take place, you're going to learn some things. You're going to learn some answers to some questions that you've been wondering about. You're going to learn how to study your Bible, seeing how the teacher handles that discussion and how people discuss that scripture. You're actually going to be equipped for life to study the Bible on your own, and that's why we believe in interactive Bible study. If somebody puts a podium up in front of your life group and they teach another lesson, something's gone wrong because it's a, it's a discussion is what it's all about. The second thing you're going to find in a life group is you're going to find fellowship or you're going to find community. You're going to find friends for a lifetime. Again, look at verse 42. And 40, verse 42 said, and they were continually devoting themselves not only to the apostles' teaching, but to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. We believe that that's where you're going to find the friendships that are necessary to live for Christ. The truth is, is that we're not a large church. We're a collection of small churches called life groups and there's a sense in which you haven't found your church yet if you haven't found your life group yet and a great thing one of the great things about having a slightly larger church is there are all kinds of life groups with all kinds of life stages we have life groups for singles and for marrieds we have life groups for people who have no children who do not want to sit in a life group with a bunch of people showing baby pictures We've got life groups for empty nesters, and we have life groups for blended families. We have all kinds of life groups. We even have life groups for folks who don't want to be around people who are in the same life stage they are. There are people, we have life groups that have both married and single, old and young, with and without children, and some who own dogs and some who own cats. That's what I call the non-affinity affinity group, all right? And so you got all kinds of them. Now, what you may may or may not be aware of if you have already joined the church when you join the church we assigned you to a life group 
but we don't expect you to necessarily attend that life group. We just wanted to assign you so there would be somebody there that could reach out to you. But we fully expect for you to visit around several life groups. In fact, if you came up to me today and say, Steve, I want to get involved in a life group, which ones would you recommend? I would pull out a list of our life groups, and there's, I think, over 200 of them now. And I would take a highlighter, and I'd probably mark at least eight or nine that are in your age group, that's in your life stage, that has a family structure similar to yours, just for you to begin. And we fully expect for you to visit around until you find one that is one that fits for you. And then when you do, go up to the teacher after the, the life group is over and say, you know what, I don't know what life group I'm enrolled in, but this is the one I'm going to be a part of. And then they'll look you up and see if you're on their role or if they need to move you from that role to the other. They'll do all that paperwork for you. Now, here's what I know from being married to an introvert, all right? That this is terribly frightening to some of you. To walk into a room of strangers and introduce yourself and get to know them. It's just beyond painful. But here's what I know is that God has invited you to do this. And more than that, he's commanded you to be in a, a situation where you walk with God's people like this. And if God commands it, God will give you the strength. God will give you the courage. And here's what I also know. It's worth it. Very few things that does God ever tell me to do that, that don't cost me something. And God knows that in the process of obeying him and paying that price, that it's always worth it. And so I want to encourage you to do the hard thing, to do the courageous thing, to get out there and to find a life group. Because in that, you're going to find friendships for a lifetime. The third thing you're going to find is you're going to find serving opportunities. Look there in Acts 2.45. In Acts 2.45, it says, And they began selling their property and possessions, and they were sharing them with all, as anyone might have need. Every one of our life groups are required to have at least one ministry project they do together. The truth is, is that most of our life groups have multiple, half a dozen, a dozen different projects. And many of them are local, some of them are national, some of them are international. As they pray for our international partners, they may even send representatives from their life group to, to visit those foreign countries. And they're involved in so many projects. One life group may adopt a, a nursing home in our area and go and, and read to those people and shop for them and wash their hair. Another one might adopt a Habitat for, Habitat for Humanity group and they'll go and work together one half Saturday a month and, and, and everybody has something to do. There are people who have skills that can teach others. There's others that can bring the water and the food for that day. There are others who can organize the, the, the activity. And the great thing about your life group having multiple projects is you can kind of pick which one you want to be involved in. But the beauty of it is you're not only studying God's word together, you're actually doing God's word together. And so in that, you'll find a meaningful place to serve. And there's this great synergy where you're serving with your best friends. And then the fourth purpose of a life group is encouragement or accountability. It's where you get to know people well enough that you can be encouraged by them and you can be held accountable by them. It looks something like this. You are there in a large worship service and uh, instead of just staying in that worship service, you start visiting around life groups. And when you find the life group you want, you join that life group. But you can even go further than that because the next step is we have what is known as a growth group. 
Now, let me just explain what a growth group is. A growth group is a smaller subgroup out of your life group made up of eight to ten singles or four to five couples. And you meet together once a month outside of the church time at the time that you choose. You provide your own child care and you get to know each other better. Now, you say, Steve, what happens in a growth group? You know what? It's varied. Some of them are more like supper clubs. They just get together once a month and they have a potluck together. Others of them go to different restaurants. Some go out and they do activities, like they may go miniature golfing together or bowling or they may have a family picnic. Others choose to serve together. They may go to downtown Dallas and work with our partnership churches there and feed the homeless or they may be involved in tutoring together or some ministry project. Others still decide they're going to do a further study. They're going to take a book of the Bible or they're going to take a Christian book and read it together and discuss the chapters. The growth group can be whatever you want it to be that the individuals in it would like for it to be that need whatever is provided there. And so they're, they're varied. The important thing is that you're doing it together. You're getting to know each other at a deeper level. Now, you say, well, Steve, how do I get in one of those growth groups? If you're already attending a life group and you're not yet in the, one of those smaller groups, just go to your leader before or after the hour and just say, hey, I've really enjoyed being a part of the life group. I want to get involved in one of those smaller fellowship groups called growth groups. And then what they'll do is they'll do one of several things. Either they'll take your name and they'll put you with an existing growth group. They'll put you with several other singles who are already meeting together. Or they'll put you with other married couples that are already meeting together. Or it may be that if all those groups are full, the teacher may stand up the next week and say, hey, I've, I've heard from several folks who want us to, to put together some new growth groups. If you'd like to be a part of a growth group, just put your name in the hat. We're going to pull your names out and put you together and, and just kind of uh, let the lots fall where they may. And we're going, to, we're going to create two or three more new growth groups. Or they may just say, well, do you know some people in the class who are not yet in a growth group? And you put your own growth group together. Now, very, very important. After about three or four months, you've been in a growth group. It's perfectly legal to go back to the teacher and say these words. Hey, I have really enjoyed being with that growth group. But, you know, I'd like to meet some other people in the life group. That's code for I don't have anything in common with the yahoos that you stuck me with. <laughs> and I need an out here. Help me. Okay, now, we're laughing, but I, we could take a poll today. And, and almost everybody's done that at least once, all right? And it's legal, all right? Don't be afraid to get in a growth group that you have to stay in that growth group. We want you to be in a growth group with folks you enjoy being with. And when you find that group, guess what? You just stay with them until Jesus returns, all right? <laughs> just keep on doing it. And, and, there, and there are growth groups that are represented in this room who have been together for decades, meeting together and getting to know each other better. Because here's what we really hope to happen. We're not going to bust up your growth groups. What we really hope will happen is that the guys in that group will develop the kind of friendships that will serve them well, what we call accountability relationships. Let's look at the chart again. You, you go to worship, and then out of worship, you find a growth group, and then out of a, I mean, out of a life group, and then out of a life group, you find a smaller group of eight to 10 people in a growth group, and then out of that, two or three guys if you're a guy, and two or three ladies if you're a lady, in accountable relationships. Now, let me tell you what accountability is not. 
Accountability is not where you say to somebody, you tell me what God wants me to do. That's not accountability. That's weird, okay? I don't, I don't need anybody telling me what God told them to tell me. God knows my phone number, okay? But accountability is where I begin to tell some trusted friends what God is telling me and asking them to hold me accountable for following through with the commitment that I made. And all of us need that. We all need someone to encourage us to do the right thing. All of us need someone to be rude to us on a regular basis for Jesus' sake, all right? But people won't do that if you don't give them permission, and you shouldn't give them permission unless they are trustworthy. Here's what I found. To move from sitting in the auditorium, semi-anonymous, being a spectator, to getting involved in a life group, and then out of that life group, finding eight to 10 people who you meet with on a regular basis and develop a deeper friendship and then find two or three guys that you trust enough to tell your besetting sin and the things that you struggle with and to people who love you enough to challenge you and tell you the truth, that whole process takes about two years. So you better get started, all right? Because in that life group, you will find encouragement. Look with me in Hebrews, the 10th chapter. In Hebrews, the 10th chapter, verse 24, it says, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging, there's that word, encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The first purpose of a a life group is interactive Bible study. The second is fellowship. The third is serving opportunities. The fourth is encouragement or accountability. And then the last purpose of a life group is to provide care for our members. Look back in verse 44. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. You know, from time to time, I'm called upon as a pastor of your church to go to meet with a family who's in crisis. And when I arrive on the scene, I can tell in about 60 seconds whether or not that family has a relationship with a life group. So my wife and I started coming to Lake Point and uh, came a few weeks before we placed our membership or joined. Uh, so we kind of always you know, knew we were missing something by not being in a life group while we were just kind of feeling things out. I needed to um, experience life with other people. About eight years ago, uh, when my husband and I got married, we moved from the singles group to a married life group. Jenna, my wife, and, and myself, we, uh, we ended up going to the West Wardell Life Group. So we've been members in, of that life group for about eight years. Uh, and some other friends had been invited by some other friends to attend the life group, and so we just decided to check it out with them. Uh, I convinced my husband to attend a life group with me, which uh, was pretty life-changing for both of us. And through all this time, we were able to watch um, as other people in our life group started having children, and then eventually we were blessed with a daughter, Casey, and, um, and then a few years later, we in February this year, we had a son, Cameron, and uh, we were so excited. And when he was born, he um, had some complications and had to go to the NICU. One day I got home, and horse went to bucking and threw me. Uh, I broke four bones in my neck, uh, displaced my trachea, had a paralyzed vocal cord, 
broke three bones in my back, broken arm, three broken ribs, hematoma, and because of the stress and all, had a heart attack. I got a call from uh, Angie Gray. She's in the life group, Troy's wife, and um, they told me that my husband was in an accident and that I needed to go to the hospital. And of course, I get to the hospital and I found out that my husband had a heart attack and didn't survive. A couple of weeks ago, my wife um, just suddenly one evening became real short of breath. We spent the night, the entire night in the ER, and the next morning they, they found out that she had, uh, she had a blood clot in each lung. Um, and then five days later, after Cameron was born, my husband unexpectedly passed away. Um, it was a complete surprise, a complete shock, and my world just completely fell apart. Um, my baby's in the hospital, I have a four-year-old daughter, and I was just like, what, what do I do? I can't do this by myself. One of my first memories of being aware of where I am and what's happened, there's my wife, there's my brother, my sister, my mother, and there's, you know, six members of my life group sitting there. Uh, then the next thing you know, people are coming to visit at the hospital and they're there to, to sit with us and pray with us and uh, just really, you know, anything they could do. And uh, while we were there in the hospital, it kind of even went further than that. And, you know, whether it was, uh, did we need somebody to take the kids back and forth to a sports or practice or dance rehearsal or uh, just whatever we needed. Did the yard need to be mowed, things like that. And so they were always there to fill that gap. Of course, they were there when I got there. And then um, by the time I got home, my life group just rallied around me. They were there at my home, uh, just preparing for what was to come. They immediately went into action mode because I'm not good at asking for help. And they just immediately started taking care of all kinds of needs, and physical and monetarily and, and spiritual, just anything we could think of. We all have families. I've been blessed my whole life with a family, growing up with a great family, and life group is the same. It's, it's my family. But it doesn't just stop at the bad stuff. You know, I mean, we get to do missions together and we go to Cuba together and uh, we just got, you know, a couple people just came back from Cuba, a couple just came back from Ghana, and, uh, you know, and we get to do things for the local community, like, you know, collecting, um, uh, sleeping bags and tents and uh, feeding the homeless and, and there's so much that you get to do together that just puts this this joy that you can't buy. You know, there's just so many things you can get out of a life group based on you know just being in a life group that you can't get just coming to service once a week and then and then heading home after an hour. They've told me in many different times in many different ways that this is this is not for right for it's not only for right now, it's for, for the long haul, that they're in it for the long haul. Because um, our, me and our, my kids have become, you know, like family with the other families in our group. And know that every one of us have been broken. We have been alone or felt alone. But God's guiding your steps. He's going to make sure you end up in the right place with the right people. And just don't be afraid to pursue that because it's so worth it. In Ecclesiastes, the fourth chapter, verse 9, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his com companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. 
Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? And if one can overpower him who is alone, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you today for your plan. We thank you for calling us to walk with God's people. And that when we do, we put a win, a W in the win column. And we live out what you've called us to live out of being disciples. Thank you, dear Father, that discipleship is a team sport. We thank you, dear Father, for a church that believes in your word and implements your plan. And I pray for every person here that was in a life group at one time and for whatever reason dropped out or perhaps their life group went away. Pray that, dear Father, you'll give them the courage to step back into that process. I pray for all those who've been spectators that you're calling to be participants. I pray for those who are a little bit shy that you give them the courage to, to, to break into those groups. And I pray for all of our life groups today. I pray that they will be the kind of group that will do all the things that we promise today. That will love on folks and care for them and, and, and reach out in friendship to new people who are coming in. Folks who will facilitate uh, a Bible discussion that will help people know how to study your word. Uh, I pray to Father that, uh, that our life groups would be a real vehicle for people getting involved in meaningful service that will change the world. And uh, we just pray to Father that uh, you continue to work in and through your church and in and through your life groups here. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.